Thank you for coming. Um, so today, I'm going to get right into it. Are you ready? Yeah. I've specifically asked that the kids would stay in, and because we are right now talking about family matters. So last week, we started this. We're looking at Ephesians 5 and 6, where the Apostle Paul talked about biblical input and the pattern and the idea of the family. And uh, this today, or last week, we started with talking mainly with husbands and wives and um, looking at that, and I had a lot of input for the husbands. And um, you're not off the hook yet, my, my friends. We got more today. Today we're going to get into uh, fathers. A little bit on children, but mainly fathers. And uh, some input there, but for you females in the room or who, people who aren't fathers or what have you, this definitely applies across the board. It's God's picture for family, and God has called fathers to lead the family, not dominate, to lead the family, to have the first rung, if you will, of responsibility. It all falls on the fathers and the husbands' shoulders, not that they lord over and dominate, but that they lead. And the biblical pattern of family is something that fathers are to lead in, but we all are participants in this picture and have a place. So we need to understand uh, the whole picture. And so we're going to talk to the fathers, and then next week we're going to have the privilege of having my lovely wife, Minda, speak biblically on the ro uh, roles of wives and mothers. So here's the thing. Why are we talking about this? Well, because it's important, but we, I, I mentioned all, uh, last week, we, we love... We love the things of the Holy Spirit, and we love, you know, the, the, the wonderful things that he does. And we love evangelism, and we love all of these things, but God's purpose for the church is a big picture of his kingdom, as it is in heaven, coming into the earth as a testimony to those who don't yet know him of what he's like. And family is at the nucleus of his orig the original creation. Do you know that? Family is a critical part of the will of God for us. And we've got this statue. We reference it often down there on Jefferson Avenue in Woodward. And uh, the, Detroit, the spirit of Detroit. And it says that the artist used this. You know, the, everybody knows the spirit of Detroit, right? The big muscular, the guy that looks like me. And, and, and he's got like a something in one hand and, and a, kind of a family in, in the other. And the whole idea is that God is reflected in the earth through family. And we're talking about rebuilding. Let me tell you something about what the rebuilding that we want to see, and more importantly, what God wants to see in the city, is rebuilding of lives. Yes. And lives are in the context of family. Family is the nucleus of people's lives. And so God, if he wants to rebuild Detroit, it's not just, yeah, sure, let's see rehabilitation of houses and skyscrapers going up, you know, where the Hudsons used to be. Let's see these things. That's great. Let's see lives rebuilt. Let's see families rebuilt. And let's start with the husbands and the fathers. Here. Not just out there. They need to see us come to another level. And follow Jesus into seeing more of his kingdom come into our family, men. That we have the privilege and the honor of leading so that more of his kingdom is reflected through our lives as families into the earth. So let's get started. Are we ready? Ephesians chapter 6. We read husbands and wives at the end of chapter 5 last week. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1 through 
The fourth verse says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. We are going to make a comment to you, children. Can I call you children? People who aren't yet living independently on their own. Youth, let's say. Youth. Did you hear what the Bible just said to you? Give me some affirmation here. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So let's start with the children. First of all, we see this pattern in these two verses, excuse me, these two chapters, where all of the family relationships are related to the relationship with Jesus. So the idea is that the family here is actually a temporal reality. I mentioned last week, you may be uncomfortable with me saying it, but Jesus said, I'm not going to be married to this lady when I go to heaven. Do you know that? We won't be given in marriage in heaven. We won't be getting married in heaven. We're going to be married as the bride of Christ to the Lord Jesus. We, we, that will be the, and so everything that is happening in family with the husband and the wife here on earth is a pattern of, in a, in a sense, it's us walking out our relationship with Jesus through our relationship with the people around us. You cannot say, I love Jesus and hate people. You, you follow what I'm saying? So our, our, our love of Jesus reflects in a relationship starting with the family. And so that's the idea is that Paul is saying, wives, submit and honor, submit to and honor your husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, there's a relationship between your relationship with your husband. You're actually worshiping and honoring and submitting to Jesus by submitting to your husband as he's told us to. Does that make sense? You're not doing it for him or worshiping him. And if you do it on the basis of whether or not he's worthy of it, you're going to stumble in that marital relationship quickly. And then he says to father, excuse me, to husbands, to love your wives, wives as Christ loved the church. It's all following a heavenly pattern. And then he says to the children, to honor and submit to your parents in the, in the Lord. Exactly. The idea is, is this is about your relationship with Jesus. Now here's the thing I want to say to you. It, two interesting words that are found there. It's the first commandment with a promise. Commandment, promise. Commandment, promise. Two words. A commandment can only be given if somebody commanded it. Is that right? So the whole idea that Jesus is getting at, or the scriptures are getting at, is that your relationship of Obama, oh, Obama that was weird, of obeying, <laughs> of obeying and honoring your parents is actually coming from a command that was given by a commander, God. You're not honoring and submitting your, to your parents because they're perfect or because they're worthy of it or whatever the case is. You following Jesus looks like I submit to him in that he's told me to submit to and honor my parents and in that, in the Lord, I submit to them. We making sense? And then in addition to that, it says it's the first commandment with promise. And there cannot be a promise given unless there is a promiser. The idea is this whole relationship is actually to the one who gave the command and gave the promise. And that's important for us to know that there is a promise associated with this. If you will, then will I. 
And what is the then will I? That it may go well with you. This is actually for who's good? Your mom and dad? Because I know there's a little thing inside of us that says, well, I don't, I don't want to honor them because they took my video game away. So I don't want to. Kind of stick it to them. Guess who you're really sticking it to? That it may go well with you and that you will live long on the earth. So this whole pattern is for our good. <laughs> That's what I love. It may not naturally come to us when my wife upsets me. Let's be real. I may not feel like loving her like Christ loves the church. But guess what? It is actually even, not that I do it for my good, but it is for my good because it creates an environment where she more easily honors me, which is what I need and want. And the whole thing works well when each of us are doing our part, not dependent on what the other people are doing, but are doing our part because we're worshiping him and obeying what he wants for us. And then the family operates the way it ought. We good? So there's the children. Let's go on to the fathers now. Fathers, the interesting thing is in this passage of, of Scripture here, what does it say about the mothers? Nothing. You look in Colossians, Paul gets into the same thing, talking to the children. What are they supposed to do? Guess what he says about the mothers there? Nothing. What's the point? It underscores the reality that God holds the father responsible. The father leads. The father goes first. He is the one who's to create the environment in which his, the mother, who is your helpmeet, as we can also translate from the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 1, the help against, as we mentioned last week, which is just not to say that your wife is like your peon who comes alongside you and just helps you. It's actually you're this way without her, and she makes you help against. So she completes you. But the idea is God first gave to Adam the responsibility and then brought Eve into that picture. God first gives you the family father, and then, he, and then the, mo the mom or the wife comes into that picture with you. You are the one who frames what's going down in the family. Take the responsibility. And so here, just want to make a point here that we've got two different, and I know that this isn't politically correct in this day and age, but it's important for us to be able to talk freely anyway. There are differences between men and women, and it's to be celebrated. And it, but, but let's also recognize that doesn't mean we need to put men in a box or women in a box and say that you need to do this and men, you need to do this. No, husband, you need to lead. And you need to discern what gifts your wife has to come into that package and, and, and feel free to celebrate it. I mentioned last week, my wife has leadership gifting and skill that I don't have in some ways. And I celebrate that and utilize it and, and bring it into our picture. I'm not intimidated by it or saying, no, I need to lead. Get Submit, woman. <laughs> See how far that goes in the, in the relationship. No, I celebrate the beauty of, and I'm not intimidated, but I do have the responsibility of leading the picture. And so women tend to, I don't want to put us in boxes, but women tend to be nurturing and protective. If I can use the picture of a, of a bird in a nest, women tend to 
have more of the let's keep the birds in the nest and let's protect and let's shield from the evil bad stuff that's out there beyond the nest and let's just give them the food and let's have this happy warm environment inside and it's actually quite wonderful and it's actually quite necessary but there's also a need for another complementary part that dads are more inclined to be part of which is to kick the bird out of the nest because if these birdies are going to fly someone needs to kick them out and bring them into the adventure and wildness that exists beyond the nest that we were called to fly through and to conquer. And so fathers, I want to challenge us a little bit this morning about taking that place because I have seen in our society and in our culture over the past since I've been alive, kind of a belittling of the role of the father to where we kind of even see in modern um, uh, media and movies and commercials where the father's just kind of a dunce. And everybody knows, the mom really knows what's going on. The father's just kind of like the idiot who works hard and brings them the money, but he doesn't really know what's going on. That's not the picture of the biblical pattern of a father. Fathers are heroes. Fathers live on mission. With their hearts beating for a king and they're leading their family into this thing. The, into, the, into the wild and into the, the unknown. And so I want to challenge us as fathers that, that if we don't take our place, you know what can happen to our kids? They, bec- they live in the comfort of the nest and they're well-loved and they're well-cared for, but they're not prepared for the dangers that lie ahead. They're ill-prepared. They're naive. They, we live in kind of like a little bubble of protection, and we're never meant to live that way. The world needs children who are going to shine a light to this dark world. And if we are going to raise up kids who are prepared for that, we need to raise up kids who are in the world, not just shielded from it, in the world, and who are mixing with the people of that world and able to influence them because of skills that we have helped to impart to them. We're tracking so actually, my, uh, let me just be blunt with, 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 uh, with you, so very honest. I, most of you know I did not grow up a Christian. I wasn't raised in the church world. So I, I had an experience with Jesus at the age of 18, went into church, and I saw church down in the south, but it doesn't matter, it was church. And uh, I encountered uh, several people who were like church kids, and one of the things that stuck out to me was that a lot of these kids would not... If, if they were inserted into my social group back in high school, they would not know what to do. They would have been totally ill-prepared. They would have been ill-prepared for the, uh, the reality of all the worldliness and knowing how to maneuver through that. They would have been ill-prepared in the, in the way of knowing how to relate in a contemporary society kind of way and connect with and actually make friends with, with my friends. Why? Because they lived in a very safe and comfortable church subculture. Let me say something. We are not called to create a church subculture. Jesus created nothing of the sort. He created a counterculture full on in the world. Not running and hiding and saying we're not going to do Halloween, we're going to do harvest. I'm mocking a little bit. I shouldn't do that. 
We're not called to have a Christian substitute to try to have a Christian version of something. We're called to be leaders. Let the world copy what we're doing. And to be in the world with the respect and admiration of the world because we're not running from it to try to shield ourselves from the badness and we need to raise up kids who can be in the world and know how to not be of it but rather to influence it. That is important, my friends. We'll never as the church fulfill our call if we, don't learn, if we don't get this right. And I'm saying to you, fathers, be the pioneers who go there first. Let's give some, I've got, I've got a great friend of mine and um, also who happens to be my leader, Tyron Daniel and Nicole Daniel, who lead the New Covenant Ministries International team, which we partner with as a church. And we have the privilege, my wife and I, of serving on that team as well. And um, if you look at, if you were to go to an equip, we talk about this often, these regional meetings that we have uh, in L.A. next year. I specifically say that one because I know that their kids would be there. They've got three boys. Joel, who's just graduated high school. Josh, who's probably going into his 11th year, 11th uh, grade year. And then um, Jude, who's probably going into 6th grade, I guess. They've got three boys. So the two older boys are in, have been in high school. They would be at an equip they, if you go to this equip, they're going to be at the door, not because they're the sons of Tyron and whatever, they are radically on fire for Jesus, okay? They would be the first to greet you. They're going to ask, like with me, they're, gonna, they're not afraid of me. I'm over twice their age. They're going to ask me how I'm doing. They're going to say things to encourage me rather than just assume that I'm the pastor. And they, You know what I'm saying? They've got their both feet on the ground. They're influential in the church, outside of the church. They're going to a very secular charter school in Colorado. Anybody know of Colorado? Like, you know Colorado? Anyways, they're like in Colorado. My, my amazing how my brother just happens to live in the same exact neighborhood that this is going down, completely coincidentally. My sister-in-law is a teacher in the school. So I know this is not a church bubble. That, that, that Tyron and Nicole's kids are going to. They've got friends with, across the board, well-respected. They're on the, in the sports clubs. They're in the world. I'm going to start looking at you guys. In the world. Not just kind of doing our thing over here, mixing with influencing, having the respect of worldly people. We need to learn how to do that. Yeah. If you don't believe me, let me just toss out a few examples from scripture before we move on. Biblical precedent for children and people who were in the world, not stained by the world, but rather influencing it. You ever heard of Joseph? Joseph got thrown into the, his brothers tossed into a pit. We didn't get into your relationship with your siblings, by the way. That's maybe for another Sunday. They tossed their brother into a pit. He got sold into slavery, went to Egypt. That Joseph, Joseph in Egypt, working with the polytheistic Pharaoh, was influencing Pharaoh and had the respect and the ear of Pharaoh. We need that. How about Daniel? Daniel was a boy. He grew up to become a man, as we know, as we all do, hopefully. But Daniel, as a boy, had the respect of the king of Babylon, was looked at, was living in a, in a totally non-Hebrew culture, non-Jewish Yahweh worshiping culture and yet had the respect in the ear 
was looked at with regard. How about Esther? Obviously, she wasn't like a little girl, but she lived with and influenced the king of Persia. How about Jesus? Jesus walked the earth. Did he, did, he, did he do all the church slang and kind of create his little subculture of disciples? No, he was mixing, wearing ordinary clothes, using ordinary language. He wasn't wearing the regalia of, of religious leadership. He was contemporary in his society. He was mixing with fishermen, speaking their language, farmers speaking their language. He was called friends with, with friends. Not, not like, I like them, you know, we're friends. No, he was hanging out with sinners. And um, <clears throat> we can even say, I mean, even in John chapter 11, I think it was, the Greeks, this group of people that he wasn't even trying to reach in his earthly life, they started coming to him asking, can we have an audience with Jesus? Completely non-Hebrew. And then the, the church that he started in Jerusalem goes on, and there's a culture of they went about preaching the gospel everywhere. And if the kids grew up in that culture, that's the culture that they would have been raised in, right? A culture of not subculture, counterculture in the world, going in, but influencing it. And it says it, multiple times in the early part of the book of Acts that they had the favor with the community. I love that. That's, that's the way it should be as opposed to looking at the church as this weird, because in a subculture, we develop our own language. Do you know that? Yeah. I'm speaking to you as somebody who came into the church world from outside. Weird. How'd your summer go? Oh, it was, it was you know, it was cool. Oh, praise God. Oh, okay, <laughs> sure, Hallelujah. Using church lingo in our ordinary conversation, it doesn't make sense to people outside of our subculture. So if you develop a subculture, you lose your ability to influence. And just a case in point, many of you know the story of me coming to faith. It was a Catholic priest who shared some, something of gospel truth that I ended up receiving and led me to receiving Jesus and becoming born again. This Catholic priest, unlike most of his colleagues who were very pious and they walked around with very lofty thoughts of spirituality, Father Lopez was smiling. <laughs> Let's take note of that first. Smiling. He was high-fiving in the hallways. And do you remember this? It's going to give away our age a little bit. Too legit to quit. He was, uh, MC Hammer? Any, all right, anyways. Hammer, I should say. He lost his MC later. So he was, do, he was doing that, and that was like, even though that's such a simple thing, that was like, you're one of us. You're not like out there somewhere in your holy garb, and you're, you know the songs we're listening to. You're, you appreciate and, 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 and actually celebrate with us things you you open my heart to what it is that you have to say so let's move on what now I'm going to say to you fathers firstly model a life of being sent more than shielded our kids are never going to live in a sent countercultural Jesus in me to influence this world unless we 
don't model it for them, unless we model it for them. Model a life of being sent more than shielded. Number two, let's make sure our kids are more sent than they are shielded. Not saying don't protect them from the things, but empower them to be around the stuff. Because as soon as they leave home, guess what? They're going to encounter it. And it would be a lot better that we prepare them for that day now and start exposing them and empowering them in the exposing rather than block shield, throw a blanket over. So make sure your kids are sent more than shielded. Thirdly, don't hide them from the world, but empower them to influence it while still remaining clean from it. And I also just want to say, I know that some of these are redundant, but just say also to the fathers, respond to the call. What is the adventure that we're, we're called to, to go on? We don't do adventure for adventure's sake. Following Jesus is wild and adventurous. Truly following Jesus. And fathers, respond to the call of not working harder, but paying more attention and, and presencing yourself with this Jesus to be led by him and go on the wild ride of responding to what he's saying and bring your kids into that picture out of the nest we need nests but we also need to and having said that let's challenge and nudge our kids into maturity so having said that let's go back to that chapter that verse Ephesians 6 verse 4 and I just want to pass I want to ask us some questions some probing questions just to get us thinking as we read the scripture, it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Amazing. Every time Paul tells somebody to not do something, he always follows it up with, rather do this. Because it's not about what we shouldn't do. It's about what we should. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So let's look at that real quick. The provoking to wrath, what does that actually mean? That's mainly discipline without heart connection. Fathers who just out of irritation discipline without taking responsibility for the child to make sure that their heart receives instruction and affirmation from the father. I believe in corporal punishment at times and I don't think that everybody needs to implement that necessarily I've done it, and you have to walk that journey. You have to as a, as a father. But every time I've disciplined, there's, there's instruction that follows, and I love you. It's got to happen. So don't provoke your children to wrath. Discipline without heart connection breeds contempt and anger inside of the heart of a, of a young child. So the antidote is discipline for them, not for you. Discipline is actually a service to your child. Make sense? So that's one antidote. And then the other would be the rest of the verse of what Paul said. To bring them up in the nurture or the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up, training, admonition. Bring them up, training, admonition. That is the antidote to not provoking our children to wrath. So let's look at bringing them up. When Jesus was 12, some of you know the story, he was, uh, they went, his family went to Jerusalem and uh, they did the whole um, a Passover celebration and then they were going back to Nazareth where they were from and they were like, uh-oh, where's Jesus? You know, on the road. It, that would be kind of scary. 
And they go back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple and he's talking and hanging out with the priests there. The interesting thing here is that when the story of Jesus going and, and being there, it says that he was 12 years old. And it was in that place when they found him in the temple that he said, don't you know that I would be about my father's business? And there was something that happened at that age where Jesus had a realization that God, yes, Joseph, you are my earthly father, God is my father, and I'm coming into his business. Now, at that age of 12, in that, con in that congregation, in that uh, culture, at the age of 12, kids would be considered no longer children, but would be, go through a rite of passage to become young adults, and as such, they would be expected to observe everything of the Jewish law and they would be, be set aside for learning the trade of their father. So in the case of Jesus, he would be learning the trade of a carpenter. But in actuality, what he was understanding is I'm learning the trade of my father. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is in our society, we've lost this. We've lost this rite of passage. We've lost this whole thing of fathers stepping in at around the time of puberty and saying, come into my world. Come into adulthood. I want to train you and release you for this world. It's not to say that mothers don't have a powerful leadership and influence throughout the whole process, but there's something of a rite of passage where just like Jesus had to literally go start uh, working with his father Joseph and taking on adult level responsibility, we need as much as possible at the time of puberty to let our children go through a rite of passage that is hard. I lived for seven and a half years in Africa, and I had some friends who, especially those who didn't live in Johannesburg when, in their upbringing, but lived in more of a remote tribal situation, and they had a rite of passage. I had my friend, remember uh, uh, Moses, another Moses. And, uh, and he talked about at the age of 13, they had to go up in the mountain, and you would spend three days in isolation learning to live out in the wild on your own. Rite of passage. And so, I believe that we need to do that. No. I, <laughs> so what I'm saying is fathers take that place at the age of, of around the time of puberty. It's no longer nest time. It's time to fly. It's time to put weight on your children that looks like adult level weight. So let's, let's, uh, let's dig in a little bit more. Training. So that's bringing them up. Training. The Greek word that's translated in English as training there is the whole training and education of children. That's the idea of training. In other words, it is the father's responsibility to oversee the development in all the areas. And in that same passage of scripture that we just referenced where Jesus was, the boy Jesus was found in the temple when he went back to Jerusalem, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 I think it is, says that the boy Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. These are the four areas that our children need to grow up in, and our fathers, us fathers, need to take responsibility to make sure our children are growing in those four areas. And so here's some questions that I want to ask us fathers. Mothers, I would also pay attention. Kids, I would pay, excuse me, young adults, youth, also pay attention, because these are areas that you and all of us need to continuously be developing in in order to fulfill our call. So fathers, here's the question. How are each of my kids doing in wisdom? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
and wisdom meaning education and all things of learning skills that have to do with being functional and successful in life. How are each of my kids doing in that? Am I regularly imparting life skills? As my kids are hitting difficulties or as they're making mistakes, do I just kind of gloss it over or am I taking time regularly to impart whatever it is that I've learned in my journey to make sure that they start their adult life with everything that I've got? Am I on top of their education or is that just mom's thing? Okay, let's talk about growing wisdom. What about stature, which is your physical development? You mean I have to worry about that? I thought it was all about making sure they go to school and making sure they go to church. No, we need to care about our physical life because to, to fulfill our call in this life, we have a temporal body that it happens in. And I, frankly, I'm tired of seeing Christians die from cardiac arrest or from, uh, what is it, type 2 diabetes or whatever because of our diet. And then we trust God. Well, how about changing your diet? So how are my kids doing physically? Do they eat healthy foods? Have I surrendered to the stubbornness of my child in only eating what they want? Everyone else eats the broccoli except for them because they just won't. Well, let's not just allow them to dominate. And are they physically active and challenged? Let's talk about growing is it's wisdom, stature, favor with God, their spiritual development. How, are my, how is my kid's relationship with God? Am I investing into helping them grow in that? Am I a part of that development? Or is it just send the kids to church and hope it somehow happens? Or am I investing into helping them to grow spiritually? Asking questions, allowing them to ask questions. Believe me, by the way, at the age of 13, 14, the puberty, their brain starts to change and they start asking some penetrating questions that aren't the simple ones earlier in life. You know? Like, did Jonah really go into the belt? You know, like, is, this, is the Bible really real? Is, you know? Let's, let's enter into that conversation and relationship with them. Am I investing into helping them grow in that? And are they brought into my relationship with God? Is, is what I'm receiving from and experiencing from God stopping there? Or is it first influencing those that I have responsibility for? Are they hearing what's going on in that conversation and thus being influenced by it? And then lastly, relationship with man, favor with man, social skills. How are my kids relating to people? Am I teaching them to overcome shyness? Big skill. Shyness without, uh, without any kind of boundary will come across as offishness and selfishness. Even if it's not that, that's the way it comes across to people and you lose their heart if you don't overcome shyness. The respect. You lose the ability to influence others if we, if we aren't willing to do that. And then am I showing them how to have influence in the world? And then finally, and we'll end here, we'll pray and we'll let Minda do the announcements, but let me just say this. It's the training. Bring your children up in the, in the training and admonition of the Lord. What is admonition? It's kind of like a mild rebuke, little exhortation. And I just want to make this one point about that is that not 
it's not loving our kids to let things slide. In other words, we sometimes think that it's more love to just kind of not discipline, not correct. That is doing our children no favors whatsoever. They need us to have a voice with love. Speak the truth in love. But they need that. And if we don't do that, somebody else is going to tell them how to live and how not to live. Let's take that place. Let's love our kids. And sometimes it doesn't win the popularity contest, but it is so worth it for their sakes. Do it in love. Do it in grace. Don't make them feel bad all the time and that they're... But, but lead. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for... You taught, taught us to pray, Jesus, to pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we actually, we just want to acknowledge your presence here. And Lord, we do pray as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come to our families, to every father in this room, even to every mother, to every child, just as it is in heaven. We honor you. We choose to obey you. We as fathers choose to love our lives as you did the church and gave yourself up for, for it. We choose as fathers to not provoke our children to wrath, but rather to bring them up in the training and admonition that you give. And as children, we choose right now to repent of any dishonor and unsubmissiveness we repent of that and we honor you, Lord, by honoring and submitting to our parents. And as wives in the room, we choose right now to honor you by honoring and submitting to our husbands. Let your kingdom come. Let your goodness be seen. Let your order and your way bring freedom and rebuilding into the city and into the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up, Minda.